unlike the cobbled surfaces that had been laid in most of France's towns and cities, these dirt roads did offer a fairly consistent surface. However, too much sun and too little rain, or vice versa, rendered them hazardous. Road users ended up either blinded by dust or slithering through sludge. The dust was easier to deal with as long as it was your bike or motor vehicle that was kicking it up. For anyone behind, successful forward progress was a lottery. That this issue desperately needed resolution had become even more apparent due to the growing numbers of motor vehicles, which were restricted in theory by a speed limit of 20 kilometers per hour in built-up areas and 30 in the countryside. However, the only actual limit was each driver's common sense. Gendarmes, depending on bikes or foot power, were almost completely unable to enforce these regulations, to the dismay of pedestrians and, most particularly, those who lived alongside busy roads and were unable to open their windows in warm weather because of the all-pervading dust. Articles on the poor state of the roads and the many accidents resulting from this appeared regularly in both the mainstream and the sporting press, usually demanding the introduction of a formal Code de la Route that laid down speed limits for all vehicles. Yet the legislation implementing rules of the road did not go through until 1922. Resurfacing France's roads, though, occurred much more quickly. In August 1903, C. M. Gariel, the inspector of bridges and roads, wrote an article for La Revue du Touring Club de France, giving his impressions of an experiment in goudronnage, the laying of coal tar, over a section of road at Port Doré in southeast Paris. At first glance, the coated section seemed clean and well sealed, and, looking even more closely, you could see that there wasn't any appreciable amount of dust lying on it, he reported adding that the bikes and motor vehicles that passed when he was inspecting it didn't kick up the usual irritating and blinding cloud. He concluded by saying it was desirable for further tests to be carried out across France and over a longer period in order to confirm the efficacy of tarring roads to quell the plague of dust for road users. Within a few years the tour would feature a lot of riding on roads of this type, but for the hopefuls at the 1903 race there would be no escape from the dust. Goggles kept it out of their eyes, but it coated everything else. The best they could do was try to avoid it, which to a large extent explained what may seem to be rather madcap tactics. The individual stages of a modern multi-day race tend to stick to a very formulaic pattern. From the start, an early break will form, comprising a small group of riders. The racers don't have a realistic ambition of being contenders for the overall title, and either don't have the sprinting speed to win a bunch finish, or are not specialist climbers. The peloton will allow them to build a lead, before beginning to chase them down to ensure a bunch sprint or a battle between the pick of the climbers, depending on the terrain at the finish. Although there are slight variations to this, the one unchanging guarantee is that the best sprinters and climbers will sit in the midst of the peloton, saving all of the energy they can until the last and hopefully decisive moment. Any appearance by them at the front of the pack before this would be strategic suicide. In the first tour, where, it should be remembered, the rules laid down that the riders had to race as individuals, even though several of the bigger names did belong to teams, there was absolutely no question of the favourites sitting back. Instead, they attacked each other right from the very first moment. Establishing a gap over your rivals meant having a clear road ahead of you and leaving a dusty trail in your wake, so those following behind could not clearly see the ideal line to take in order to avoid potholes, debris or animals in the road, or the best approach to corners. 
Then there is the question of how the suppression of pacemakers affected tactics. Firstly, the star names would have been used to going off hard from the gun, but doing so while sitting in behind well-paid pace-setters, who were effectively doing most of the work for them, just as a team leader's domestiques now do. They simply weren't used to sitting in a pack in order to preserve their physical resources. Consequently, after Abra had fired the starting pistol on stage one, they raced flat out as they always did. A nagging concern about the levelling of the playing field brought about by this change to the well-established rules also had an impact. Sprinting away from the start, the leading names wanted to impose themselves on less renowned riders who sniffed an opportunity to upset the established hierarchy, determined to quash suggestions that their dominance was about pacemakers more than ability.